Hello and welcome to Retirement Rebellion. My name is George Jurgen and I'm hosting the third episode of six monthly podcasts. Each podcast will focus on one book by an author who is a pioneer in the world of thought and thinking. In this third episode, I delve into Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One. Dr. Dispenza, author of Evolve Your Brain, studied biochemistry with an emphasis on neurochemistry at Rutgers University in New Jersey and earned his Doctor of Chiropractic degree from Life University in Atlanta, Georgia. He was one of the scientists featured in the award-winning film What the Bleep Do We Know? and he continues to lecture around the world. I cover eight main ideas from Dr. Dispenza's book and, with reflection and questions, apply his thinking to how that impacts on life after retirement and in so doing, challenge not only perceived ideas, but also elicit new possibilities for life beyond retirement. In Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, Dr. Dispenza provides an entertaining and highly accessible manual for rewiring our mental and emotional circuitry, which offers a simple but potent message. What we think today determines how we live tomorrow. The first main idea is the quantum you. You are so much more than you believe. Dispenser writes, and I quote, We are part of a vast, invisible field of energy, which contains all possible realities and responds to our thoughts and feelings. Your past shortfalls can be traced at their root to one major oversight. You haven't committed yourself to living by the truth that your thoughts have consequences so great that they can create your reality. To change your life, change your beliefs about the nature of reality. According to classical Newtonian physics model, all things are considered solid. For example, energy can be explained as a force to move objects or change a physical state of matter. But energy is so much more. It is the very fabric of all things material. Einstein demonstrated that energy and matter are so fundamentally related that they are one and the same directly contradicting Newton. The most fundamental component of our physical world are both waves and particles, that is, waves of energy and particles of physical matter, leading us to quantum physics. People believed that atoms were made of a solid nucleus with smaller objects around it. 
atoms are in fact mostly empty space. In fact, atoms are just energy. At the subatomic level, the fundamental elements of the atom don't obey the laws of classical physics. They behave in unpredictable and unusual ways. The subatomic world possesses not just physical qualities, but also energetic qualities. At this level, they exist as momentary and elusive phenomena, that is, appearing on three dimensions, quantum field, time and space, and then disappearing into nothing. If you feel like you're losing me, stick with me. You'll get it soon enough. Quantum experiments demonstrated that electrons exist simultaneously in an infinite array of possibilities or probabilities in an invisible field of energy. In other words, a particle cannot manifest in reality, that is, in ordinary space and time as we know it, until we observe it. At a subatomic level, energy responds to your mindful attention and becomes matter. An infinite number of possibilities await the observer. Now listen very carefully here. Subatomic particles such as electrons exist everywhere and nowhere. If they can exist in an infinite number of possible places simultaneously, we are potentially capable of collapsing into existence an infinite number of possible realities. In other words, if you can imagine a future event in your life based on any one of your possible desires, that reality exists as a possibility in the quantum field, waiting to be observed by you. If your mind can influence the appearance of an electron, then theoretically it can influence the appearance of any possibility. Like clay, the energy of infinite possibilities is shaped by consciousness, your mind. And if all matter is made of energy, it makes sense that consciousness and energy are so intimately related that they are one. Mind and matter are completely entangled. In the quantum model, the physical universe is an immaterial, interconnected, unified field of information. Potentially everything and physically nothing. It is your state of being, that is when your mind and body are one, as an observer, which has effects on the external world. So if you want to change some aspects of your reality, you have to think, feel and act in new ways. Change requires coherence, aligning your thoughts and feelings. A laser, for example, is a coherent signal with waves that are in phase so that their troughs and crests are parallel. To change our reality, the outcomes that we attract to ourselves have to surprise, even astonish us in a way in which they come about. 
If you can predict an event, it is not new. It's Newtonian. Strive to create an unknown new future experience. Go from cause and effect to causing an effect. Hold a clear intention of what you want, but leave details, or the how, to the unpredictable quantum field. Surrender, trust and let go of how a desired event will unfold. We need to make another leap of faith to bring what we want into reality. When you're in a state of gratitude, you transmit a signal into the field that an event has already occurred. Gratitude is more than just an intellectual thought process. You have to feel as though whatever you want is in your reality at this very moment. So your body, which only understands feelings, must be convinced that it has the emotional quotient of the future experience happening to you right now. The quantum is a multi-dimensional reality that exists beyond our senses, in a realm where there is no body, no thing, no time. So what does it mean to be beyond space and time? Well, think of a moment when you're driving and your thoughts are focused on one concern. When that happens, you forget about your body, your environment and about time. You have no idea how long you have been in a trance. It is at these moments that you are on the threshold of the doorway to the quantum field and gain access to working with universal intelligence. What opportunities are out there waiting for you? Who are you being in this moment and at other moments? Is being the way you are now going to attract to you all that you desire? Now I come to the questions. First, what new future have you imagined for yourself and are you holding a clear intention of that vision in your mind? Second, are you thinking, feeling and acting on it? Third, who are you being at the moment? And fourth, are you in a state of gratefulness for this new life? The second main idea is overcoming your environment with your internal compass. Dispenza writes, and I quote, We are prisoners of our familiar thoughts and feelings, which keep us creating the same reality over and over. To change, be greater than your environment, your body and time. Our memories make up our internal environment. Hence, all our personal experiences with people and things at specific times and places 
are literally reflected within the networks of neurons or nerve cells that make up our brains. Familiar memories remind us to reproduce the same experiences. When you think from your past memories, you can only create past experiences. So if you continue to do so, how can you experience a different outcome? End quote. There is a principle in neuroscience called Hobbes' law, which states, nerve cells that fire together wire together. When these clusters of neurons are hardwired, they become organized into specific patterns and eventually those nerve cells develop into long-lasting connections and become an automatic, unconscious habit. When your environment is influencing your mind to that extent, your habitat becomes your habit. You become neurochemically attached to the conditions in your life. This signature is called your personality. Greatness is holding fast to a dream, independent of the environment. History is full of great people. Think of Marie Curie, Gandhi or Thomas Edison. They could not see, hear, touch, taste or feel it, but they were so possessed by their dream that they acted in a way that corresponded to this potential reality, ahead of time. When our behaviours match our intentions, when our actions are equal to our thoughts, when our mind and our bodies are working together, there is an immense power behind any individual. The greatest individuals in history were ahead of their present environment because their environment no longer controlled their thinking. They were clear in their minds about exactly what they wanted to happen. Remember, we leave the how to the greater mind. The vision of the future reality was nothing to do with the senses, so in effect one could call it no sense. It existed in a reality beyond the sense. So how can our thoughts become our experience? Through mental rehearsal, so with repeated imaginings of performing an action, the circuits in the brain can recognize themselves to reflect our objectives. Not only can we change our brains just by thinking differently, but also when we are truly focused and single-minded, the brain does not know the difference between the internal world of the mind and what we experience in the external environment. If you can influence your brain to change before you experience a desired future event, you will create the appropriate neural circuits that will enable you to behave in alignment with your intention before it becomes a reality in your life. If you keep installing, reinforcing and refining your neurological hardware, the end result of their repetition is a neural network. In effect, a new software program. 
Now, the questions to ask yourself are as follows. First, is your thinking based on past memories or have you created future memories which you have rehearsed by thinking, feeling and acting on them? Second, have you pruned your old neural circuits and sprouted new ones that fire and wire together? Third, what are your dreams? Can you see it, hear it, touch it, feel it and taste it? The third main idea, overcoming your body. Do your emotions control your thoughts? Dispenza writes, and I quote, you do not think in a vacuum. Every time you have a thought, there is a biochemical reaction in the brain. The brain releases specific chemical signals to the body where they act as messengers of the thought. When the body gets these chemical messages from the brain, it complies instantly by initiating a matching set of reactions directly in alignment with what the brain is thinking. Unquote. There is a certain synchronicity that takes place moment by moment between the brain and the body. In fact, as we begin to feel the way we're thinking, we begin to think the way we are feeling so that we first begin to feel the way we think and then we think the way we feel. Years of thinking certain thoughts and then feeling the same way and then thinking equal to these feelings creates a memorized state of being. Dispenser issues a warning here. Quote, when feelings become the means of thinking, or if we cannot think greater than how we feel, we can never change. In effect, your feelings are now controlling your thinking. Your body is driving your mind. Unquote. Does your mind control your body or does your body control your mind? What most people don't know is that when they think about a highly charged emotional experience, they make the brain fire in exact sequences and patterns as before. They are firing and wiring their brains to the past by reinforcing those circuits into ever more hardwired networks. About 95% of who we are by midlife is a series of subconscious programs that have become automatic, like driving a car, brushing our teeth, overeating when we are stressed, judging our friends, complaining, blaming and not believing in ourselves. Take a mother driving a minivan to drop off her kids at school. She's able to navigate through traffic, break up arguments, drink her coffee, help her child blow their nose and answer her mobile all at once. These are memorized deeds through repetition. When the mind and body are one, we are in a state of being the memory of ourselves. 
So if 95% of who we are by the age of 35 is a set of involuntary programs, memorized behaviors, and habitual emotional reactions, it follows that 95% of our day, we are unconscious. We only appear to be awake. Trying to charge your emotional pattern is like going through a drug withdrawal. You have trained your body to live as a memorized chemical continuity, but now you're interrupting that, denying its chemical needs and going contrary to its subconscious programs. Help is only a thought away. It is essential to memorize an emotion that has become part of your personality and then recondition the body to a new mind. By itself, conscious positive thinking cannot overcome subconscious negative feelings. By itself, positive thinking never works. That's because the mind and body are not working together. The conscious mind wants one thing, the body wants another. Memorized feelings limit us to recreating the past. Since your feelings are a record of previous experiences, you're thinking in the past, and therefore, by quantum law, you create more of the past. The bottom line is that most of us live in the past and resist living in a new future. Why? Because our bodies are so habituated to memorizing the chemical records of our past experiences, that it grows attached to the emotions. In a very real sense, we become addicted to these familiar feelings. We say, the good old days, and nothing is happening in my life. Another major aspect of breaking this habit has to do with our physical health. We now know that less than 5% of all diseases today stem from a single gene disorder, whereas 95% of all illnesses are related to lifestyle choices, chronic stress, and toxic factors in the environment. Yes, it's true that external environment influences our internal environment. However, by changing our internal state of being, we can overcome the effects of stress and toxic environment so certain genes don't get activated. Genes hold memories of our past environment. The body is a protein-producing factory and most cells of the body make proteins and genes are the way we make them. The way that most organisms adapt to conditions in their environment is through gradual genetic modifications. For example, if lions are chasing prey that can outrun them, then by actively engaging the same experiences for generations, they will develop longer legs, sharper teeth, or bigger hearts. The study of epigenetics, which is the control of genes outside the cell, suggests that we can signal our genes to rewrite our future. Our genes are as changeable as our brains. They are experience-dependent genes. They are activated when there's growth, 
healing or learning. And there are behavioral state-dependent genes that are influenced during stress, emotional arousal or dreaming. One of the most active areas of research today is epigenetics, meaning above genetics, which is the study of how the environment controls gene activity. Epigenetics flies in the face of conventional genetic model, which states that DNA controls all of life. If we perpetuate old states of being, we set ourselves up for an undesirable genetic destiny. If we stay in the same toxic state of anger, the same melancholy state of depression, the same vigilant state of anxiety, or the same state of unworthiness, those redundant chemical signals we have talked about keep pushing the same genetic buttons, which ultimately cause the activation of certain diseases. Stressful emotions actually pull the genetic trigger, dysregulating and impairing the cells and creating disease. We can experience joy or gratitude ahead of the environment to such an extent that the body begins to believe that it is already in the event. You can change the circuitry in your brain by thinking in new ways. And if you embrace the emotions of an event ahead of its physical manifestation, it's possible that you can change your body genetically. When you have thoroughly rehearsed the future reality until your brain has physically changed to look like it has had the experience and you have emotionally embraced a new intention so many times that your body is altered to reflect that it has had the experience, hang on because there is the moment the event finds you and it will arrive in a way you least expect which leaves no doubt that it came from your relationship to a greater consciousness. So the questions we need to ask ourselves here is, first, how often are you aware that each thought you have impacts on your body's chemistry? Second, when you're in an emotional state, are you aware that you have surrendered your responses to your subconscious mind or your body because you are addicted to the chemicals released by your neural circuits. Third, 95% of your responses each day are programmed, meaning you have applied no conscious thinking. Are you aware that these unmonitored automatic responses are dangerous for you? And lastly, fourth, when will you start to prune these past emotionalized memories and sprout new emotionalized future memories? Fourth main idea, overcoming time. Are you living in a predictable future? Dispenza writes, and I quote, In the present, 
all potentials exist simultaneously in the field. When we stay present, when we are in the moment, we can move beyond time and space and we can make any one of these potentials a reality. When we are mired, stuck in the past, none of these potentials exist. When we humans try to change, we react much like addicts because we become addicted to our familiar chemical states of being, almost as though our body has a mind of its own. How it works. Here's how it works. You have an experience which has an emotional charge. Then you have a thought about that particular event. The thought becomes a memory, which then reflexively reproduces the emotion of the experience. If you keep thinking about that memory repeatedly, the thought, the memory and the emotion merge as one and you memorize the emotions. So now, living in the past becomes less of a conscious process and more of a subconscious process. Much of the activity of the subconscious mind is involved in keeping the body functioning. Scientists refer to this regulating system as the autonomous nervous system, which controls things like breathing, keeping your heart beating and the body temperature, among a host of other things. You can see how dangerous it would be for us to cede control over our daily emotional responses to our memories and environment to this autonomous nervous system. All it takes is one stray thought or one reaction to some event in the external world to activate that program, and you start to feel the emotion of your past grief. Once that happens, the body runs the mind. This is called conditioned response. The way that the body is conditioned to live in the past starts with a mood, which over time becomes a temperament, and after some more time develops into a personality trait. So let's start with a mood. What is a mood? A mood is a chemical state of being, generally short-term, lasting from hours to days. That is an expression of a prolonged emotional reaction. When this mood or emotional reaction extends from weeks to months, then it becomes a temperament. When this temperament goes on for years, the tendency turns into a personality trait. So to change our personality, we have to change the emotions that we memorize. We have to move out of the past. The truth is that we can't change when we are living in a predictable future. When we train the body to be the mind in order to live in a predictable future based on a memory of a known past, we miss this precious moment, the now. When we focus on an intended future event and then plan how we will prepare or behave, there will be a moment when we are so clear and focused on that possible future that the thoughts we are thinking will begin to become the experience itself. Once the thought becomes the experience, the end product is an emotion. 
When we begin to experience the emotion of that event ahead of its possible occurrence, the body, acting as the unconscious mind, begins to respond as though the event is actually unfolding. Now just imagine being asked to give a lecture in front of 350 people, but you fear being on stage based on emotions of previous public speaking disasters. Your body begins to tense, as do your shoulders, your heart races, and you perspire. Your mind and body are polarized, moving from the past to the future and back again. As a result, you deny yourself the novelty of a wonderful future outcome. By severing and pruning your conditions with the past, you can access all the possible outcomes in the quantum field. So why would you choose to live in the past and keep creating the same future for yourself? Think of a time when you've been so focused on what you were doing that you were, as they say, in the flow. When you lost all track of time and location. When you were in that flow, you had transcended your environment, your body and time. You may not have been aware but you were in an altered state of consciousness. So here are some questions to ask yourself. Are you living in a predictable future or have you started to live the future you desire? Second, would you love to work at something you love and lose all track of time? And third and last question, if so, are you ready to change your personality by changing the emotions that you memorize so that you can move out of the past into your future? Main idea five. Survival versus creation. Are you addicted to surviving or are you free to create? Dispenser writes, and I quote, Why is it so difficult to live in these creative moments? Because we are simply more familiar with the addictive state of mind we call survival. Unquote. Thoughts alone can trigger a human stress response. And keep it going. Every time we knock the body out of a chemical balance, that's called stress. Whether we see a lion in the Serengeti or bump into a not-so-friendly ex at the grocery store, we turn on the stress response. Unlike animals, we have the ability to turn on the flight or fight response by thought alone. We can also produce the stress response by revisiting an unhappy memory that is stitched into the fabric of our grey matter. This kind of repetitive stress is harmful to us, and no creature can avoid the consequences of living in long-term emergency situations. What's in store when you keep mobilising all that energy for some emergency situation? You're putting the bulk of your energy towards some issue in your external environment, leaving little for your body's internal environment. Your immune system can't keep up 
so you become ill. Humans, unlike animals, re-experience and pre-experience traumatic situations. The domino effect from the cascade of hormones and other chemicals we release in response to stress can dysregulate and impair some of our genes and that may create disease. Your body is stealing this vital energy from your immune, digestive and endocrine systems, amongst others. When our stress response is triggered, we focus on three things, and they are of the highest importance. How to protect our bodies, where do we escape to, and how much time do we have to evade the danger. Survival. To be in survival mode requires us to be a somebody, as opposed to a nobody. Just stay with me on this. Who we are is a consciousness connected to a quantum field of intelligence. If we fancy ourselves as solely physical beings, we limit ourselves to processing only with our physical senses. The more we use our physical senses to define our reality, the more we allow our senses to determine our reality. We slip into Newtonian mode of thinking, which is about predicting an outcome, trying to control instead of surrendering. We are in survival mode. In a quantum model, Everything is defined by energy. Survival-oriented emotions are lower-frequency emotions and vibrate at a slower wavelength and ground us into being physical. We become denser, heavier, and more corporeal. We become more mass and less energy, more matter and less mind. We are addicted to being a somebody. When the stress response is turned on, the powerful cascade of chemicals rushes into our system and gives us a jolt of energy. This is very addictive. Like drinking triple espressos, we become addicted to our problems, our unfavorable circumstances or our unhealthy relationships. We embrace our environment as our identity. The moment we begin to deny ourselves the substance we are addicted to, there are cravings, withdrawal pains, and a host of inner sub-vocalizations urging us not to change, and we remain chained to our familiar reality. Most harmful of all, we live in fear that if those problems were taken away, we wouldn't know what to think or how to feel and we wouldn't get to experience the rush of energy that causes us to remember who we are. The selfish self. How would we know who we are if we weren't, if it weren't for our environment, our bodies and time? That's why we're so dependent upon the external world. We do all of this to feel human. 
we become overly selfish, we obsess about our bodies and live enslaved to time. Remember the ego is primarily concerned with predicting every outcome of every situation. What is the beginning of freedom from our present lives look like? To forget about the people we know, the problems we have, the things we own, the places we go, to give up the highs from the emotionally familiar experiences that reaffirm our identity, to dream greater than how we feel and crave the unknown. That is the beginning of freedom from our present lives. Creation. Living as a nobody. Ever notice that when you're truly in the midst of creating anything, you forget about yourself? Once you're no longer connected to a body, no longer focused on people, places or things in your external environment, and beyond linear time, you're entering the door of the quantum field. To change any aspect of your life, you must transcend it. You must leave the big three in order to control the big three. Where is the domain of creation and change? When we are in creation, we activate the brain's creative center, the frontal lobe. This is the newest, most evolved part of the human nervous system and the most adaptable part of the brain. The frontal lobe is the seat of our attention, focused concentration, awareness, observation and consciousness. In a nutshell, the frontal lobe performs three essential functions. First, metacognition or becoming self-aware. Second, creating a new mind to think about new ways. And third, to make thought more real than anything else. Let's start with the first, metacognition or awareness. Perhaps it's a bit obvious, but if you want to be a new self, you must stop being the old self. Your attention is where you place your energy. You are what you are. You are where you are and you are who you are because of what you believe about yourself. So start observing all aspects of your present personality. You must pay attention to your unconscious thoughts, reflexive behaviours and automatic emotional reactions. The purpose of becoming self-aware is so that you no longer allow any thought, action or emotion you don't want to experience to pass your awareness. Prune away the hardware that is related to the old self by interrupting the feelings that are associated with those thoughts. Second, creating a new mind to think about new ways. <clears throat> Open-minded inquiries are the most productive approach to producing a fluent stream of consciousness, such as what, it, what would it be like to? What is the better way to? What if I was this person living in reality? 
Who in history do I admire? What were their admirable traits? By beginning to mentally rehearse new ways of being, you start rewiring yourself neurologically to a new mind. And the more you can remind yourself, the more you'll change your brain and your life. Every time you acquire new information, you're adding new synaptic connections. The more you learn, the more ammo you have to unseat the old personality. Third, making thought more real than anything else. When we are in a creative state, the frontal lobe becomes highly activated and lowers the volume on the circuits in the rest of the brain so that little else is processed but a single-minded thought. With little neural activity, we could say there is no mind to process sensory input. We have no body. We have become no thing. We are, in a moment, pure consciousness. If you effectively execute the creative process, this experience produces an emotion and you begin to feel like the event is actually happening to you in the present moment. You're one with thoughts and feelings associated with your desired reality. Lose your mind, liberate your energy. In the act of creation, when you become no body or no thing in no time, we no longer create our customary chemical signature because we're not the same identity. We don't think and feel the same way. The neural networks that our survival thinking had wired are turned off. And the personality that was addicted to continually signaling the body to produce stress hormones is gone. So where does the energy go that once fed the emotional self? It has to go somewhere, so it moves to a new place. The energy in the form of emotion moves up the body from the hormonal centers to the heart area on the way to the brain. And all of a sudden, we feel great. We fall in love with our creation. That's when we experience our natural state of being. With the old energy transmuted into a higher frequency emotion, the body is liberated from its emotional bondage. When anger or shame or lust are released from the body, they will be transmuted into joy, love and gratitude. When you're living in survival, you're trying to control or force an outcome. That's what the ego does. When you're living in the elevated emotion of creation, you feel so lifted that you would never try to analyze how or when a chosen destiny will arrive. You trust in a future that you can't see or otherwise perceive with your senses. To you, it has already occurred in no space, in no time, in no place. The nerve cells that once fired and wired together to form your old self are gone. The old you is gone. So here are some questions for you. First, after your retirement, 
Are you struggling to survive by controlling or forcing an outcome? Or are you living in a new elevated emotion of creation? Second, do you wish to raise your frequency and elevate your consciousness to liberate the energy released by your old personality? Third, ever notice that when you're truly in the midst of creating anything, you forget about yourself because you've entered the door of the quantum field? The sixth main idea, three brains, thinking, doing, being. Dispenza writes, and I quote, Change entails new ways of thinking, doing, and being. If you know how to drive a car, then you know you've already experienced the most elementary example of the above. We can immediately form new neurological connections and circuits that reflect our new thoughts. Nothing gets the brain more excited than when it's learning. These are aphrodisiacs of the brain. We've already covered Hobbes' law, where nerve cells that fire together, wire together. The brain's ability to rewire and create new circuits at any age as a result of input from the environment and our conscious intentions is called neuroplasticity. And the gift of neuroplasticity is that we can create a new level of mind. There's a sort of neurological process of out with the old, in with the new, which neuroscientists call pruning and sprouting. To change our lives, we must first have to change our thoughts and feelings, then to do something by taking action to change behavior, so as to have a new experience, which produces a new feeling, which we memorize until we move into a state of being. So, the three brains. The first brain is the neocortex. The second brain is the limbic brain. And the third brain is the cerebellum. Let's look at each separately. The neocortex processes knowledge, then prompts us to live what we have learnt. The neocortex the walnut-like outer covering is our thinking brain. This is the seat of consciousness. It's the brain's architect and designer. It allows us to learn, remember, reason, analyze, plan, create and speculate. Knowledge is the precursor to experience. Now, the limbic brain produces chemicals to help us remember experiences. Also known as the mammalian brain, it is the most highly developed and specialized area of the brain. The limbic brain is also called the chemical brain or the emotional brain. The moment those networks of neurons fire a pattern specific to that experience, the emotional brain manufactures and releases chemicals in the form of peptides, 
the chemical cocktail has a specific signature that reflects the emotions you're experiencing at the moment. As you now know, emotions are the end products of experience. A new experience creates a new emotion, which signals new genes in new ways. In the process, the limbic brain assists in forming long-term memories. Last, the cerebellum. The cerebellum is located at the back of the skull and it stores habitual thoughts, hardwired attitudes and conditioned behaviours. You may not consciously remember a phone number or the PIN number for your ATM, but you've practised it so often that your body knows it better than your brain. When you're in a state of being, you begin to memorise a new neurochemical self. That's when the cerebellum takes over, making that new state an implicit part of your subconscious programming. You've practised it so often, it is now second nature, and you don't have to think about it. It is automatic. Our thinking and feeling brains condition the body to a new mind. Once the neural networks begin to fire in unison, your brain created a picture, a vision, a model, or a hologram image representing the ideal self that you are focused on being. Rather than judging, attacking, or feeling animosity against the person you dislike, you do something completely different for you. You stay in the present moment. Open your heart and really listen to what they are saying. You no, long, long, no, sorry, you no longer hold them to their past. You modify your behavior and restrain your impulsive emotional reactions, thereby creating a new experience with them. This activates the limbic brain to cook up a new blend of chemicals, which generates a new emotion, and all of a sudden, you truly start to feel compassion for them. You have now formed an associative memory. We've covered two brains, thinking and doing. What about being? It's not enough to have mind and body working together one time. That's got you from thinking to doing. But can you produce that feeling of compassion at will? If not, then you haven't mastered compassion. My definition of mastery is that our internal chemical state is greater than anything in our external world. You are a master when you have conditioned yourself with chosen thoughts and feelings. You've memorized desired emotional chemical states and nothing in your external life deters you from your aims. No person, no thing and no experience at any time or place, should disrupt your internal chemical coherence. You can think, act and feel differently whenever you choose. Being means that it's easy, natural, second nature, routine and unconscious. Compassion and love would be automatic and familiar to you as those self-limiting emotions you just changed. Now, all three brains are working together, biologically, neurochemically, 
and genetically. From thinking to being. This is a prelude to meditation. Meditation allows us to change our brains, bodies and state of being. Through meditation, we can install the necessary neurological hardware, just as piano players and finger exercises make changes through mental rehearsals. What would you envision for yourself if you were to create a new ideal of you? Once you experience a new mind, your brain creates a kind of holographic image that gives you a model to follow in, creating your future reality. You will be wiring new circuits. Once that thought transformation takes place, the end product of that experience will be a feeling, an emotion. When this occurs, your body, that is your conscious, unconscious mind, does not know the difference between an event that takes place in reality and the emotions created by thought. At that point, you have moved into a state of being. You are no longer practicing happiness or gratitude. You are being grateful and happy. You have broken the habit of being yourself. A new state of being creates a new personality. A new personality creates a new personal reality. Remember the quantum model tells us that if you have created a new mind and a new state of being, you have an altered electromagnetic signature. Because you are thinking and feeling differently, you are changing reality. You can think one way and feel another and expect anything new in your life to change. I'm asking you to use thought and feeling to put yourself in the shoes of that future self, that possible self. So vividly that you begin to emotionally condition your body to believe that you are that person now. If you are in the past or the future based on your familiar emotions or anticipation of some effect, you don't have access to all possibilities. The quantum field holds. The only way to access the quantum field is by being in the now, in the present. The elevated emotions of gratitude, love and so forth have all the higher frequency that will help you to move into a state of being where you can feel as though the desired events have actually occurred. Give thanks allows you to emotionally condition your body to believe that what is producing your gratitude has already happened. Here are some questions for you. First, are you ready to prune your old mental processes and to sprout new ones? Second, do you wish to master your thoughts and feelings so you can think, act and feel differently whenever you choose? And third and last, are you excited at the prospect of changing your personality, changing your reality, by changing to a new memorized neurochemical self or a new state of being? Main idea seven, 
the gap between how we appear to the world and who you really are. Dispenza writes, and I quote, On the day I recognised the core reason for my unhappiness, I also realised that I needed the external world to remember who I was. My identity had become the people I talked to, the cities I visited, the things I did while I was travelling, and the experiences I needed in order to reaffirm myself as this person, Joe Dispenza. And when I wasn't around anyone, I wasn't sure who I was anymore. I was totally addicted to my environment and I was dependent on external cues to reinforce my emotional addiction. Unquote. Human beings live in a duality of two separate identities. The identity gap is the gap between how we appear to the world and who we really are. When we memorize addictive emotional states such as guilt, shame, anger, fear, anxiety, judgments, depression, self-importance or hatred, we develop a gap between the way we appear and the way we really are. The former is how we want other people to see us and the latter is our state of being. How we appear becomes the facade of the personality. I own these cars, I know these people, I've been to these places. Feelings of shame, anger, about a failed marriage, fear of death, not having the right body. We can't face exposing that self to the world, so we pretend to be someone else. Ask any mental health professional who specialises in working with young people and they will tell you that one word defines what it's like to be an adolescent. Insecurity. As a result, teens seek comfort in conformity and numbers. The world is a complex and scary place, so we make it simpler and less frightening by lumping everyone into groups. Pick your group, pick your poison. Life experiences define our, our identity. Early in life, we experienced defining events, the emotions of which contributed layer by layer to who we became. Staying busy keeps unwanted emotions at bay. It is intoxicating to make new friends, travel to new places, learn a new skill. We seldom suspect that many of these actions are motivated by feelings left over from certain earlier events in life. In order to accomplish many things in our lifetimes, we have to push ourselves outside our comfort zones and go beyond the familiar feelings that once defined us. But when we never overcome our limitations and continue carrying the baggage from the past, which will always catch up with us, in midlife, we apply a series of strategies to make buried feelings stay buried. This is the midlife crisis that most people know about. Some try really hard. They buy a new sports car, lease a new boat or a plane, go on long vacations. Some get plastic surgery or redecorate their home. All these are futile efforts to try something new so they can feel better. Technology is a great distraction and a powerful addiction. 
When we keep this diversion up, guess what eventually happens? We grow more dependent on something outside us to change us internally. A different midlife would be a time to face feelings and letting go of our illusions. Who am I? What is my purpose in life? Do I love myself? When we realize that nothing outside our environment can ever make us happy, we also recognize the enormous amount of energy it takes to keep up this projection of self as an image to the world and how exhausting it is to keep the mind and body constantly preoccupied. So stop living for everyone else and free yourself from these chains. Change and our relationships. Most relationships are based on what you have in common with others. Think about it. You meet a person and the two of you immediately compare your experiences as if you both are checking to see whether your neural networks and emotional memories are aligned. Do you know the same people? Have you lived in the same places? And do you do the same things? As you have shared the same experiences, you have shared the same emotions. After all, emotions and energy in motions. Emotions are energy in motion. If you share the same emotions, you share the same energy. Bonds between people are the strongest because emotions hold the strongest energy. What really matters in the end? If you had an experience 50 years ago that stopped you from growing and you stayed stuck in that particular emotion, you never converted your experience into a lesson. You didn't transcend that emotion and exchange it for an understanding. So your soul says... Pay attention. I'm letting you know that nothing is bringing you joy. I'm sending you urges. If you keep playing this game, I'm going to stop trying to get your attention and you can go back to sleep. I'll see you in the next life. Side effects of closing the gap. One of the key skills you need to develop is self-awareness or self-observation. In so doing, you will recognize the primary state of your personality that drives your thoughts and behaviors so that you become intimately familiar with every nuance of them. Over time, you're going to use these powers of observations to help you unmemorize the negative emotional state. By doing so, you will surrender that emotion to a greater mind, closing the gap between who you are and who you have presented to the world in the past. You will become conscious of your unconscious self. And when you close the gap, you release energy that was once used to produce it. With that energy, you now have the raw material you can use to create a new life. When you liberate the body from the chains of an emotional dependence, you will feel uplifted and inspired. It's not enough to be self-aware of our thinking, feeling and behaving. 
Meditation requires you to be more active than that. You also have to tell the truth about yourself. You have to come clean and reveal what you've been hiding in that shadow part of the gap. You have to drag those things out into the bright light of day. By peeling away some of the layers and masks you've worn, you will become more transparent. By moving out of the past, you can set your sights on the future. Imagine how much good you can do by converting any destructive energy to productive energy. Meditating will help you peel away some of the layers, remove some of the masks you've worn. Both of these things have have blocked the flow of that grand intelligence within you. As a result of shedding those layers, you will become transparent. As you remove the veils that block the flow of this intelligence within you, you will become more like it. You become more loving, more giving, more conscious, more willful, because that is its mind. The gap closes. No body and no event can make you feel that way. You are happy and feel inspired just because of who you are. Now the questions you need to ask here are, first, are you aware of the identity gap between how you appear to the world and who you really are? Who are you really? What are you running away from? What baggage are you carrying from the past? What feelings have you buried so deep down? Are you not exhausted trying to be what you're not? What is your purpose in life? Do you love yourself? Eighth main idea. Meditation. Demystifying the mystical and waves of the future. Dispenser writes, and I quote, One of the keys to breaking the habit of being yourself is meditation. There are lots of meditative techniques. When you move from unconsciously producing thoughts, beliefs, actions and emotions and take control of them, Through conscious application of your will, you can unlock the chains of being your old self to become your new self. In the Tibetan language, to meditate means to become familiar with self. The process of becoming familiar with the self works both ways. You need to see the old and the new self. You won't allow any unconscious thought, emotion or behavior to go unnoticed. If you consciously observe the old self, you are no longer being it. As you go from being unaware to being aware, you are beginning to objectify your subjective mind. Nerve cells that no longer fire together, no longer wire together. Whenever you make your brain work differently, you're changing your mind. The thoughts you're thinking will become an internal experience. You will install new software 
and hardware programs into your nervous system. If you attend so well to the thought you're focusing on, that literally becomes an experience. Then the end product of that is an emotion. Once the emotion is created, you begin to feel like your new ideal and the new feeling will start to become familiar. A second definition of meditation is from the Sanskrit, meaning self-cultivation, as though we are a garden. You expose new dirt and nutrients, making it easier for seeds to germinate and for tender shoots to take root. Cultivation also requires removing plants from the previous season, attending to weeds, removing rocks, and so on. Weeds could signify long-standing attitudes, beliefs, and perceptions that are unconsciously undermining your efforts. Rocks could symbolize your many layers of personal blocks and limitations. All these need tending to make room to plant a new garden. Otherwise, if you planted a new garden without prep, it would yield little fruit. Also, a cultivated person is someone who has carefully chosen what to expose herself to and who has amassed a breadth of knowledge and experience. The purpose of cultivation is to reap a harvest. The abundant yield you seek is to create a new reality. The meditative process for change is a move from the unconscious to the conscious. You need to lose your mind to create a new one. You need to prune old synaptic connections and nurture new ones. To break the habit of being yourself, you would be wise to select one trait, propensity or characteristic and focus attention on that single aspect of your old self that you want to change. Waves of the future are all located in the brain. The brain is an electrochemical is electrochemical in nature. As children grow, the frequencies that predominate in their brains progress from delta to theta to alpha and then to beta waves. Our job in meditation is to become like a child, moving from beta to alpha to theta to delta. Awareness, not analysis, permits entry into the subconscious. If you're constantly analyzing, you're in beta. That's paralysis by analysis. Meditation takes us beyond the analytical mind and into the subconscious which makes up about 95% of who we are. Meditation opens the door between the conscious and subconscious minds. Once the body is no longer running the mind, the servant is no longer the master, and you are working in the realm of true power. You are like a child entering the kingdom of heaven. The questions you need to ask yourselves are, 1. Do you meditate? 2. Are you familiar with yourself? 3. Are you ready to cultivate yourself? And fourth and last, what new thoughts, new feelings and new actions 
are you installing into your internal software? Thank you.